This is The Blunt Doctor Show On a Tuesday And It's a Tuesday where I'm a little bit angry Not at actually something sports related At this moment but it actually something that uh, A fellow NBA Podcaster said to me Last night and I was actually Going to record last night and I was so pissed off At this little turn of events That I had to kind of collect myself Sleep and now come back I'm not going to name this person because they know who they are, um, and very likely anyone who's listening to this podcast saw the little Twitter spat if you were following me. And then, well, but in any case, I'm just going to go ahead and implore people once again to not speak on issues that don't relate to you. And this person essentially said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said the quote trans rights community and the transphobe community should come together and compare notes and have a meaningful dialogue, essentially, which is one of the dumbest fucking things that I've ever heard in my entire life. I have sat here over and over and talked about my gender identity issues and those things that I struggle with as a person. It's something I'm open about. It's something that's very real and personal for me. And that is the wrong fucking take, okay? It is not my responsibility to reach out to people who literally don't believe I have a right to exist who literally, in some cases, want me to be put into a hospital and lobotomized or shockwaved into some sort of belief that they could change me into something else. Like, there's no way for me to explain to these people logically how this should go. And this idea that it's my responsibility to sit down and compare notes and have a meaningful dialogue. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. By the way, I told him all of this. So, uh, you know, this is not information that I am spreading on my podcast that I didn't, you know, was unwilling. I fucking said right to him, delete this tweet. This is a terrible fucking take. This is a garbage take because it is. Okay. You don't tell the people who are being wrongly oppressed or attacked by a community of evil that it's their responsibility to fix that problem. You know this. Whatever that community of evil is, whatever the specifically marginalized group is, it doesn't matter. You don't tell any marginalized group that they're the ones that have to work with the stated evil to fix things. Well, you need to have a meaningful dialogue. Just because they're evil doesn't mean you should sit down with them and have a discussion. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try to hear their point of view. I don't fucking need to hear their point of view. There's nothing I need to hear from transphobes. There's no meaningful dialogue. There's no note comparing. There's no discussions. Nothing that they fucking say matters. And this idea that I need to listen to them or any of that nonsense is complete fucking garbage. Absolute garbage. It's a bullshit take. It's wrong. It's a thousand percent wrong. You would not ask any other community to sit down with a group of people that goes out of their way to destroy their lives and ask them to compare notes. And I'm not trying to compare this to any specific situation. I'm not going to sit here and name groups or whatever. It's not about that. You do not tell marginalized groups that they have to work with groups of evil to find a middle ground. That's not how this fucking works. Not even fucking kind of. And I'm just, yet again, I'm imploring straight white men to please, please don't talk about things that you have no business talking about. Don't get into debates. You don't, you don't belong here. Okay. We, this is a real problem in, 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 in the white community, I guess, because I, you go on Twitter all day and yesterday there was a white person going around trying to out a person that they thought 
was a white person pretending to be a person of color. This is not your job. Like this is this this shit is absolutely obscene. Like we've gotten to a point now where everyone's trying to police what everyone else is doing and their cross communities. And if something is not your business, fucking stay out of it. Okay. Look to the leaders of a particular group to speak on an issue for you. Right. Retweet their voices. Ask questions. Educate yourself. Learn. Do not speak on the issue. Like it's just so simple when you are not part of something, especially be it a major societal issue. When you are not part of something, when you have no standing in it whatsoever, you don't need to comment. You like, uh, you want to talk to your friends about things, about whatever you think, whatever, fine. Do not go on public forums and just be like, I'm going to state my opinion on an issue that I have nothing to do with. It's a stupid thing to do. I know that we all do it from time to time here and there. I mean, I'm not trying to, everyone makes mistakes and I'm sure that this person did not intend specifically to insult me. And I don't like have any intention of never talking to this person again or any of those sort of things. You know, it's nothing like that. I'm not trying to cancel this person, any of those things, but this take was garbage. And it's just how it is. When a take is garbage, I will call it garbage. And if I have a garbage take, by the way, tell me it's a garbage take. That's life, right? Sometimes we have garbage takes. So it's just this, this yeah, I just I'm frustrated by this situation because this is someone that I generally like and agree with their opinion and think is, you know, a pretty cool person. Don't speak on an issue. I just the mere the mere fact that the sentence started with the trans rights crowd implies that you're not one of them. And again, that was not what this person was trying to do. I at least I believe. But everything about this take was wrong. And I'm just imploring you, no matter who you are, just don't speak for other communities. Don't speak for groups that you're not a part of. It's great to listen. It's great to learn. It's great to educate yourself. And it's great to want to be on the right side of these things. And I understand, you know, there's this sort of natural impetus to want to be like, hey, I have an idea for how we could solve this problem, but it's simply not yours to solve regardless of, you know, whatever issue it is, you know, again, whatever the marginalized group is, I'm not comparing, I'm not contrasting. The point is, if you're not a part of a marginalized group, you should not speak for that group. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't amplify their voices. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be an ally. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't help in any way that you can. But you speaking out of turn is not helping. And I think that that's kind of the point that people miss is they're like, well, I just want to help. But you speaking on an issue that you don't understand does not actually help. And in fact, a lot of the times can further the damage because you're spreading information that is, in a lot of cases, completely incorrect. And in, again, many cases, damaging. Like this. Like trying to tell trans people that they need to have a meaningful dialogue with members of, like, the Westboro Baptist Church or something. I don't need to have a dialogue with people like that. I don't need to discuss anything with them. It's just, it's it's a bullshit take, and, I, and it's just what it is. And so, you know, again, when you see people... You know, having these kinds of takes just, you know, if I don't know, I don't know what else to do, but scold this person because this is a group that I'm in. When you're a part of the group, you can scold the person um, just is what it is. It's a difficult situation to deal with, but it is something that I found very upsetting. And, uh, you know, again, I called the person out. I'm saying this now. We'll put it to bed. We'll bury it for what it is. Just don't speak on issues that aren't yours to speak on. I think that that's a fair thing to say, again, to anyone about really 
any kind of group. I think that's a fair thing to say. And to that person, they know who they are. If you listen to this real crapshoot, if you do, I don't know. Reach out to me if you want to discuss this issue, but please don't speak about it. It's not yours to speak on. In any case, another little something I wanted to talk about. I see a couple of things going on in the world that, well, I, it is what it is. Like I, I am known as you know a socialist and I believe in socialist ideals, but right now I'm spending all my time focused on learning about investing and you know, cryptocurrency investing, stock market investing, whatever the case may be. And just, you know, trying to figure out what, if anything, I could do with that theoretically, eventually. And, you know, I'm just trying to learn from it. And, you know, obviously, there's a really negative viewpoint of the stock market from a socialist perspective, because the stock market is bullshit and capitalism is bullshit in general. Like, I hate capitalism, truthfully. And someone said, I don't know who it was, but said on Twitter that the stock market is just a, uh, you know, a chart of rich people's feelings. And it's basically true. Um, all of those things being said, we still live in a capitalist system and I'm trying to, I'm trying to benefit from it. And if I ever became rich, I would give the majority of my money back to people who really needed it. So it's not as if I want to exploit the world, but you know, I see a lot of people getting angry at, oh, you made money off the GameStop thing. You're just exploiting the system or, you know, you're just part of it now, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, guess what? Yeah, I mean, the world isn't perfect. And as much as we would love to all live in this rosy, idealistic utopia where every single thing goes our way and nothing is questionable and capitalism doesn't exist and we all, um, you know, get the actual fruits of our labor and there's no one above us who steals, you know, all of those things would be wonderful, but it's also not where we live. And there's also, there's also something to be said for, and I know that I'm a person who has stood opposed to this idea many times, but there is something to be said for, you know, incremental gains in certain areas. Sometimes in politics, incremental gains are not good enough and you have to fight for more to get what you truly deserve. But in the case of truly living life, if an incremental gain is that regular people are able to use the stock market in a way that only rich people have been able to do so before, or if regular people are able to obtain wealth that makes them you know, able to get out of their, you know, crippling medical debt or whatever, you know, the system is rigged against us. The system has been rigged against us for a very long time. And if the system is rigged against us, then it essentially becomes our obligation to rig the system back or to beat the system because we can't just play the game the way that it's supposed to be played. You're going to lose. You can't win in a system designed for you to lose, right? You can't get out of a maze if there's no exit, right? So there has to be a way to beat the system. In the maze analogy, we're jumping a fence or something. I don't know. I'm not great with analogies or mazes. The point is, we have an opportunity to change the way things operate. And we can do it by utilizing one of the systems that they have utilized to keep us down, money. And what do they put their money in? The stock market. Look at what the whole GameStop thing was, right? A bunch of head funds shorted GameStop. So a bunch of regular people said, no, we're not going to let that happen. They sent GameStop GameStop stock soaring. And a bunch of head fund managers lost a bunch of money. And a bunch of regular people made a bunch of money. That was a good thing. And it's not possible without the stock market existing. And it's not possible without, you know, coordinated effort from regular people to make decisions. So... Yeah, I wish that this stuff didn't exist, um, but it does. 
and I, I don't understand why we should be criticized for trying to turn it on the rich. And I think that people miss that point sometimes. That you infiltrate a system does not make you part of that system. That you be, become a part of the system to flip it on its head, turn it, and use it against the people who use it against you. There's nothing wrong with that. And if we are all finding ways to invest small amounts of money or even larger amounts of money and make plays that change our future and take money from the rich and put it back in our pockets, well, then we should do that. And I know that it's questionable if that always happens. You know, some people are not good at investing. I understand all those things, but understand what really truly happens here is that you go to invest money and they go, no, you don't have enough money to invest. Only rich people can really invest. Only they can see their money grow. Only rich people are smart enough to buy stocks. <laughs> really? Those same rich people are the ones who shorted GameStop and made it publicly known so that a fucking subreddit could take them down. Maybe they're not so smart. Maybe they don't actually fucking know all of what they're doing. And this actually leads in to the cryptocurrency thing I wanted to talk about because a lot of people hate cryptocurrency uh, because of Elon Musk and Bitcoin. And because of the power consumption. Well, number one, if you hate cryptocurrency as an idea, then you're fucking misinformed. Like, the same people who hate cryptocurrency also hate the governments and the world banks and all this stuff. Like, they can't comprehend the idea that a decentralized currency is a good idea, while they at the same time rail against the American government for controlling everything and destroying them and income inequality and blah, blah, blah. You can't see the link between those two things? Really? And their, you know, their argument would be, well, cryptocurrency mining, it can only be done by the rich because these people build the farms and blah, blah, blah. And some of that is true to an extent. You know, I understand all that. And there's lots of power consumption and they use that power and it's damaging the earth. You know, again, that's not, that's not a, a cryptocurrency problem. That's a power problem. We literally have a basically endless power source for free available to us, sitting right above us, burning us all the time. And we don't use it. It's, it's literally just an endless power supply that we simply don't use. And we burn coal, and we burn fossil fuels, and we try to do this, and we do that, and we'll, we'll you know, build a clean energy, this, that, or the other, clean coal. We won't use the free fucking energy that pours down upon us every single day, okay? So please don't explain to me that the problem with cryptocurrency is that it uses too much power. Build a fucking solar farm. Solve the power problem. That's the actual problem there. And then as far as rich people buying too much of everything, well, guess what? That happens no matter what. My friend Keith, guest this show, what up, Keith, has been trying to buy a fucking graphics processor. And he can't because people use them for cryptocurrency mining. So I understand what a pain in the ass all of this stuff is. I understand how frustrating it is when people build mining rigs and buy up all the graphics cards and prevent you from doing what you want. I understand that. But there are also people who are just a dude in his basement who got in on the ground floor and made a ton of money from this and brought generational wealth to their family. There are a ton of people who bought altcoins, didn't mind them, but bought them when they were super cheap and used that to make a bunch of money, which they wouldn't have been able to do if other people hadn't mined them. The world is not perfect. We don't live in a utopia. There are going to be people who exploit things. There are going to be systems that break people. Nothing is perfect. However, decentralized currency is a very good idea for this world. The simple fact of the matter is, is that the Western world has so much control over the majority of the world 
and so much control of the, of the majority of the world's currency, the money, power, that all of our currencies have so much more value than like everyone else around the world. We control literally everything. And it makes it so difficult to conduct financial transactions around the world. Let's say that you're a person trying to send money between two poor countries and you're dealing with Western bank transaction fees. These things happen and they're real. And the simple fact of the matter is, is you might sit here and be like, well, that's not a big deal. It's a huge fucking deal. <laughs> this is a big problem around the world. And just because it's not a problem to Americans because we have Zelle and all these other things because our, you know, our banks cooperate with each other. That doesn't mean that these things are just readily available to everyone else. And still to this day, international transactions and international banking are a huge problem and very specifically a huge problem for poor people around the world. And decentralized banking solves that problem because it takes the power out of the hands of the few and gives it to the many. Anytime that we can take power from the few and give it to the many, it is a good idea. Will there be un unintended side effects? Yes. These crypto mining farms are unintended side effects. Things happen, okay? We need the cryptocurrency to be mined. It needs to be out there. Do we only want rich people to mine it? No. Build your own mining ring. Problems with buying graphics cards? Well, they need to institute better lotteries on those sites. Again, there are going to be unintended side effects. There are going to be unintended consequences. There are going to be things that are, oh, that sucks. That's not what we wanted. But decentralized banking is a worthwhile goal. Now, you want to tell me that we need to change the way that mining farms are allowed to operate, how much power they're allowed to consume, if they're allowed to run it all without solar. Like, I'm willing to listen to all of these things. I'm completely on board with the idea that much like everything else, we need to look at how things are done. That's fine. But the simple fact of the matter is that we're always going to have a problem with rich people controlling the money until we build a currency system that takes it out of their hands. And that's what cryptocurrency is actually about. It's not actually about having cool little coins that you can buy a Tesla with or whatever. It's literally about decentralizing the currency so that the currently wealthy cannot control the future of currency. And so the international transactions can become, you know, they can be done at fractions of a cost of what they are now, which is going to make life easier for a lot of people. Again, I know that this is not, this doesn't seem like a big problem to a lot of people, but it actually is problematic around the world. And a lot of these cryptocurrencies aim to resolve that problem. And it's a good thing. And again, the simple fact of the matter is, is that I, I don't understand how people can believe that just leaving the money with the people who currently have it and letting them make the decision about the future of our world economy, like that's what you want to do. No, that's, that's not what you want to do. We're, we've essentially gotten to a point where we truly believe that like a hundred people should make all the decisions for us. This is not how it goes. And this is one step in the right direction. And I understand that some people don't agree with, again, you know, I understand the, the issues with mining and power consumption. I understand those things. But again, the power consumption issue is an issue of us not using solar. And if you have an issue with the number of mining rigs that people can operate or something, well, maybe we need to license mining rigs. If that needs to become a thing, you know, I would listen to that argument. Like, honestly, like, you know, we license guns. Maybe we need to license mining rigs. I don't know. You know, we can talk about all of those things. Like, I can honestly listen to those discussions because I understand those concepts. But if you can't understand the idea that it's a really good idea to have electronic currency systems that cannot be manipulated by governments, that cannot be stolen from, I, I know that 
some of the up and coming networks have had problems with being taken over and things like that. I'm aware of that. I understand that if you're talking about little altcoins, some of them can get fucked up sometimes. There's a giant difference between what can happen to an altcoin and what can happen to Bitcoin, right? These are very different things. And the simple fact of the matter is no government owns Bitcoin and they never will. And that is a crucial, crucial factor in this whole thing because it will simply always be worth whatever anyone is willing to pay for it. And it can't be manipulated by government and it can't be manipulated by a rich person. And if you own one, it's incredibly valuable to you. And that's really the ultimate point of all of this is that no matter what happens, no matter how the world has been built, the rich always find a way to make sure all of the money flows towards them because they control not only the structure of the currency, but the structure of the banks and the structure of the laws. They control everything. This takes power from them. And I am all about taking power from the rich. And we have spent over 20 minutes talking politics now. And everyone has tuned out. So now let's go ahead and talk about sports with the one person remaining. Drew Holiday signs a four-year max extension with the Bucks in one of the least shocking moves, um, especially after Giannis signed his extension. It was pretty much a foregone conclusion. You know, Giannis signs his extension. You've acquired... Uh, Drew Holiday, you know, I mean, you just signed Middleton not too long ago. I mean, you know, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that they were going to give Drew Holiday the money, and they did. He secured the bag, and he secured the full bag, uh, full four-year max. um, They declined the last year of his player option, um, so he gets a raise going into next season. So everything for Drew Holiday is roses. It's all happy. Good for him. I'm always team secure the bag, so I'm happy when any player gets his payday. Uh, you know, these dudes work their whole lives to get here. It's every waking minute of their life from like being a 10 year old is, you know, about being a pro baller or a pro football player, baseball player, whatever it is. So, you know, just the level of effort and energy. You know, I'm all about these dudes getting all the money and fuck the teams, fuck the teams, you know, let the teams deal with that problem later. You know, I, who, who cares? I want everyone to get their money. I'm happy for them when they get their money. This is an interesting one, though. Um Although it was basically a foregone conclusion, it is going to be, you know, it's a lot of money for a dude who is a very good player and, you know, not necessarily an elite player. And that's kind of the problem. The Bucks, you know, the Bucks big three. I really like Chris Middleton. I like Chris Middleton more than most people do, I think. But the Bucks big three consists of one MVP and then two, like, all-star-ish talents, not MVP talents, not, you know, like perennial all pro talents, not, uh, you know, defensive player of the year, perennial, you know, talent. these are good players, but, um, you know, and I, you got to do what you have to do. If you're Milwaukee, you do this a hundred times out of a hundred, you sign Middleton a hundred times out of a hundred. I'm not, I'm not knocking what Milwaukee has done at all. You, you literally don't have an option, but to do these things. So it's not, it's not negative negative at all, but it is, you know, worth noting that, you know, Brooklyn put together a big three that involves, you know, three legitimate superstars, three dudes who could be in the MVP discussion at any time. You know, the Lakers have two guys who literally are, you know, top five MVP candidates when healthy. Um, you know, those are super teams. The Bucks are, I, I don't think this is a super team. I think this is a really well-constructed team. And I do think that, you know, they still have a chance to win the title. You know, I still think that the 76ers have a chance to win the title. And I think that the 76ers have a great chance to beat the Nets, and they're not a super team. A super team 
is a specific construction of, you know, like MVP caliber players playing together, typically with, you know, older role players and maybe a young guy here and there. Um, But it's a real, you know, studs and duds sort of system. And Milwaukee, you know, it's, you know, again, there's very good, but they've also got some, you know, younger middling talent. It's just not quite a super team. Um, It's a very good team. But it's going to be interesting to see um, how this all shakes out. The real interesting thing for me, though, I'm kind of a contract nerd for anyone who knows me. This is the second time that Drew Holiday has secured a max contract because he was sidekick to a player who is a superstar that their team wanted to keep happy. You know, Drew Holiday got the the five-year extension from the Pelicans because, essentially, the Pelicans had no other options to improve the roster. They wanted to keep Anthony Davis happy. They needed to keep Drew Holiday, and, you know, whether or not he was necessarily going to quite be able to get a max from another team, it just there was, there was no option. The Pelicans had to max him. And this is the same situation now. Like, the Bucks can't trade all these picks for Drew Holiday and then, you know, let him walk and then say to Giannis, well, we did our best. We made a competitive offer. You know, they just have to they have to pay, you know, whatever the, you know, the most amount of money that they can, essentially. Um, but it's just all about situation sometimes. And it's all about where you are. And I was talking to Jabari about this, and he actually made the really good point. It's like, what if... Drew had never been traded to New Orleans, you know, if Philly had gone a different way and tried to keep him and, you know, he could have been on that roster just for years, you know, toiling. Like, it's just, there's so many different potential outcomes and there's so many different variations of what will happen in any given year. And there's so much about situation and, you know, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's a choice, you know, whatever the case may be. But Drew Holiday has certainly contractually benefited from the situations he's been in in his career. And those were not necessarily winning situations, especially with the Pelicans. It wasn't even necessarily that, you know, he was taking the team to such heights. It's just that he did take them, you know, he and Anthony Davis were, you know, basically the best that that city had seen from that team. And... When you have no other options, you just, you have to do it. And so it's just an interesting case study on leverage. And Drew Holiday has basically always had it. And I mean, he's a very good player, but like, it's not like Drew Holiday's ever averaged 20 a game. You know, he's, he averages like 15, five and six, like for his career. You know, he's got respectable shooting percentages. He's a very good defender, but like, I, I, I don't think Drew Holiday is quite a max player. I think he's a very, very good player. You know, again, I, I've said this before, but the max contract is the problem in and of itself. The the max contract is the problem. It's always been the problem. The The simple fact of the matter that you have an artificial top, it inflates contract negotiations for worse players, and it devalues the best players. The simple fact of the matter is there should be a salary cap in the NBA, but there should be no max contract. Just... It's just like the NFL. If a team wants to spend, you know, X amount, if they want to spend 50% of their cap on LeBron, let them. You know, you can't spend 50% of your cap on LeBron and 50% of AD. You have to sign other players. So it just, the max contract creates all of these problems. It's why Chris Middleton is overpaid. It's why Tobias Harris is overpaid. It's why Giannis is underpaid. It's why LeBron is underpaid. It's why James Harden is probably underpaid. It's why Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are underpaid, right? The max contract system... It, but again, it overinflates. It's why Jamal Murray is overpaid. 
because the simple fact of the matter is you go to the Nuggets and you're like, well, I'm your second best player. I'm a star upcoming with a name. Max contract, please. And they can't say no. And, you know, star players are, as we know, the the most valuable thing in the NBA because you don't pay them anywhere near what they're worth. And it's these mid-tier guys, these very good players, who are able to use the max contract as a negotiating point. If there were no max contract, it's hard for me to believe that Drew Holiday would just be able to go, I want $40 million a season, and then be able to provide player comps that would make that argument fair. Now, I mean, again, he Milwaukee has to keep him, so certainly they would still pay him a huge chunk of money. But there is absolutely an inflated negotiating point for mid-tier players from the max contract. And maybe, maybe you know, the fact that there are more mid-tier players than there are great players means that that will never change because the mid-tier players want that inflated negotiating point. And, you know, if that's the case, then, you know, more power to them. You know, they make up the union. And if that's what they want and that's the way they want to do it, then, you know, hey, good for them. But as long as the situation is the way it is, you're going to have these situations where... Because if you're the player and it's like, okay, they're offering me $35 million and the max is 40 you're just like, why? Just pay me the max. You're a billionaire. The Bucks owners are, you know, billionaire hedge fund guys. You're a billionaire. Just pay me the max. And, you know, they can, well, we're trying to shave. Okay, you want to tell Giannis you're trying to shave payroll? Pay me the max. That's how those negotiations go. And furthermore... That negotiation was probably done in two seconds the minute they agreed to the trade because probably, you know, they before the trade was even done, they were allowed to speak and Bucks management talked to Drew Holiday's agent who was just two words, max contract, and that's it. <laughs> that's just how that goes. And it's like, you want to make Giannis happy? We got to do it. I'm not like upset for the Bucks owner's pockets, fuck them, good, spend the money, I don't care. But when people look at some of these contracts and ask, how does this occur? How did these guys get this leverage to get every dollar? Well, that's because of the max system, because it creates an artificially high negotiating point for mid-tier players. It just does. It creates the whole, I'm the best player on your team, I'm your max player thing. Even though being the best player on a bad team does not make you a max player, but that's sort of how it works. Now, of course, there's always overpays, right? Gordon Hayward got a lot more money than we thought he would get from Charlotte. You know, things happen. But you, if you really think that, like, okay, Philadelphia had to choose between maxing Tobias Harris and maxing Jimmy Butler. That was the decision that they made. And it was a poor choice that they made. Now, good for Jimmy. He landed in the right place for him. But their choice was which of these very good players, one who is much better than the other, which of them do we want to give the max contract to? There wasn't even like a difference in, like they gave Tobias like the five-year max. They didn't even want to give Jimmy that. But like the point is there's no dollar difference in what they were negotiating. It's all maxes. That's literally where we at at this point. It's like, oh, you're a decent player? Here's the max contract. (laughs) And, you know, Good for them. I'm happy for the players. But when you look at these things and you wonder why these things occur, that's the answer. Will this be worth it for the Bucks? just in terms of, is this a good extension? Literally, the only way to answer that question is, do they win a title? If Milwaukee wins even one title, 
during this Drew Holiday contract, and it's a great deal. That's literally the only way that you can measure anything in Milwaukee anymore. And I'm not trying to be reductive and be like, it's all about rings, and rings are the only thing that matters. They're not. There's a lot of things that matter. And, you know, I'm not trying to be that person at all. But when you've won two MVPs like Giannis has, you've won back-to-back, you flamed out in the conference finals, you flamed out in the second round, there's literally only one thing left to do. I mean, I guess you could argue make the NBA Finals, but no one... No one in Milwaukee is going to be thrilled about an NBA Finals participation trophy or an Eastern Conference championship. That's not why they play the game. So at this point in Milwaukee, we literally literally are defining this by rings. So is this a good extension? Talk to me in four years. The minute they win a championship, it's a good extension. The minute the contract ends and they haven't won any, it's a disaster. And it's 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 really that simple. And I hate to be reductive and basic, but when you're at the level they're at, when you're competing where they're competing, this is just what it is. It's rings or bust. So I would love to judge this deal right now, but I simply can't because we all knew it was coming. We all knew the extension was coming. And the simple fact of the matter is rings and it's good. No ring and it's bad. One ring, very acceptable. Two rings, phenomenal. Three rings, dynasty. Really simple. The other interesting part about this for me is that Chris Paul has been playing so well is that now this is has people floating like, you know, what's Chris Paul going to do? Because, you know, I mean, not long ago, people were like, well, Chris Paul is going to be out of the league. And they were like trying to, you know, say he was washed or whatever. And oh, my God, that $44 million option is so horrible. Well, it's not looking so horrible anymore. Will he be worth $44 million next year? No. But like in one of his athletic articles, John Hollinger floated the idea of Paul opting out and taking three and one ten from Dallas to play alongside Luka Doncic. Now, okay, like <laughs> that's never happening. Like there's, there's literally no way that that would occur. That's, that's not a thing that's going to occur. But number one, like I can't even believe three and one ten. like for Paul to opt out of 44 million. Yeah. He'd have to get, a lot of money on the back end, but he's essentially saying that he would take like a $9 million pay cut the first year and then add another like, like $60 million guaranteed, 70 million guaranteed. There's no fucking way. It's, I mean, like Chris Paul would take that in a heartbeat, obviously, but I don't understand why any team would do that. Like that doesn't, it's, it's, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. And essentially the only team that that would occur with would be Phoenix. Like, why is Chris Paul opting out of $44 million unless he knows what he has locked in? And the only thing that he can really know that he has locked in is with Phoenix. Now, okay, fine. If it reaches the legal tampering period, that's a different story. But that would imply that Phoenix has already like had discussions with Chris Paul about an extension that went poorly, and he's already thinking about his way out. Like, all of these things would imply some sort of future exit from Chris Paul when every single thing is pointing to the Suns want to keep Chris Paul long term. And like Hollinger said that. But like he was going over all these scenarios, like like implied that like Chris Paul like wants out of Phoenix or that he's unhappy with the situation. It just it was weird to me, because the logical thing is to just look at what would happen with Phoenix. And you know, again, I floated before like three years and eighty five million, you know, because Chris Paul would then get his, you know, he basically gets almost double his his guaranteed money. I just can't imagine why someone's going to a hundred ten. It, you know, for his age 36, 37, and 38 season, like that seems unlikely to me. And I know that it's Chris Paul. I know that he's having a phenomenal season. I love him. And by the way, I wouldn't even be like mad 
if the Sun signed him to that contract, I'm not gonna be angry at all. It's not even it's not even about that. I just think that I think that I just I was very surprised to see that number. It certainly goes to show how much respect Chris Paul has again. And I mean it's so funny how these things go, man. Like because, you know, the James Harden and Chris Paul thing was supposed to be and should have been, you know, like a, you know, world beating always elite guard offense and the two of them just couldn't get along and then you know paul had you know a down season and when paul was traded for westbrook everyone was just like oh my god chris paul sucks now and westbrook's still the triple double machine and blah 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 blah. and now westbrook has just become absolute you know just he's been bad and you know chris paul is now looking at his next hundred million dollar contract essentially and it's just it's amazing how quickly things happen in the nba and it's amazing how quickly they forget and it's amazing how quickly they remember again and you know the biggest thing with cp3 is i love what he's done with the suns i love the attitude he brings to the organization and i just the suns need to do everything they can to keep him around keep him around until the end of his career you know he needs to play out his career in phoenix I know that we don't necessarily have the training staff that we once had. Um, you know, I, we, we've lost a lot of those guys over the years, but we still have the institutional knowledge from those guys. And I really believe um, that we have the ability to, um, you know, we can really extend this guy's career. The climate is perfect for it. Uh, we know he's a competitor. It just, it, it fits. And the Suns need to do everything they can. And if they can, you know, just pick up the option and tack on two years and he agrees to that, then do it. You know, if you can tack on, pick up the 44 million and then tack on two years and, you know, 40 million or two years and 50 million, I think that's reasonable. You know, if you have to go to two years and 60 or whatever the fuck it is to get to the three and 110, then fine. Like, I mean, I, I just, you can't lose Chris Paul at this point. And I know the money is a lot, but you know, guess what? This is the NBA. They have a lot of money to spend and we're trying to win titles now. You know, we're past the whole happy to be here thing. This team is 35 and 14. You know, we're at a point where the Suns and the Jazz, which by the way, big game tomorrow night. Uh, the Suns are only two and a half behind the Jazz right now for the number one seed. But that's starting to look like it could be a conference finals preview. And I know that everyone's like, well, they still have to get by the Lakers and Clippers, blah, 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 and the Nuggets and Jokic. And, and those things are true. But the simple fact of the matter is that these two teams are kicking ass right now. And you can tell me whatever you want about this, that, and the other. Devin Booker and Chris Paul are a nightmare to stop. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are a nightmare to deal with. And we know that LeBron and AD are incredible. Uh, I'm not so sure I feel so strongly about the Clippers anymore, but the point is the Suns and Jazz are for real and people need to start taking them for real. And this game tomorrow night really is going to be a potential conference finals preview. I mean, we need to look at this is, this is really, this could be everything. This really could be everything in the West truly. And I understand that LeBron and AD once completely healthy are going to be a nightmare. I get all that stuff. I, I know. But my point is, there are no guarantees in this world. And when you watch these two teams playing as well as they do, playing as well as they are, I just, I'm starting to think this really is the conference finals. And so the matchups in this game could really prove to be interesting. What does DeAndre Ayton do against Rudy Gobert? How do Devin Mitchell, how do Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell handle each other? Devin Mitchell, the cross between them both. That would be. That would be something in my nightmares. Um, but how do Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker handle each other, right? What do the Jazz try to do with Chris Paul? You know, how do they try to switch the pick and roll with him? Uh, you know, how do they try to handle him in the mid-range? 
these things are just going to be really interesting to watch. You know, um, you know, what is Mikhail Bridges? Who is he guarding? Uh, you know, what, you know, how do they, how do they handle this sort of Joe Ingles? How do the Suns handle the Joe Ingles secondary kind of point guard stuff? Like the Jazz do a lot of creative shit. This is a really good team that's really well coached. And so it's really going to be on the Suns to just try to nip it all in the bud and to try to use some of our advantages. Um, well, especially, in, you know, Aiton is bigger than Gobert. So there's that, despite Gobert's, you know, Gobert's a big dude, but, you know, Aiton is one of the biggest dudes in the league. And if Aiton plays like he played last night, hyper aggressive, strong, you know, it should go well for us. But it'll be very interesting to see how that game goes. And especially if Aiton or Sharj is closing against Gobert, that's going to be. I mean, I'm not trying to say that Dario Sharj should be closing against Rudy Gobert or something or that they're in the same league, but we've all been watching this season where Monty has just chosen to let Dario close games instead of DeAndre when DeAndre was in his head or whatever. And we all know how good Rudy Gobert is. So it's just going to be really interesting to watch DeAndre. How does he handle that? Does he have another big game? Is he ready for prime time? Because this is like, the thing is, is that the playoffs are going to revolve around what DeAndre does. I know that we have not been a thousand percent thrilled with this regular season. And I know that it hasn't necessarily all gone his way, but the simple fact of the matter is in the playoffs, big men matter more. And, you know, that didn't mean as much in the Warriors years when the death lineup was just able to play dudes off the floor. But, you know, that's now you've got Jokic to deal with. Now you've got Rudy Gobert to deal with. Now you've got AD to deal with. You know, these are not this is real shit right now. And DeAndre has got to play phenomenal defense at the rim. He just does. He's got to play great defense at the rim. And he's got to switch better. DeAndre's man defense is great. This is one thing that I think people, there's a little bit of a misconception about his defense. Like, ask Nikola Jokic. Jokic has said many times, like, DeAndre Ayton is a great one-on-one defender. He's frustrating as hell to play. He's huge. He's always in your face. Ayton is a great one-on-one defender. And he will be able to be a nightmare to some of these Western Conference bigs. It's when he is switched on to a smaller guy who is capable of blowing by him or when he's got to make a couple of rotations late after, you know, a back cut or a pick, you know, a couple of actions, suddenly he's thrown off and he's out of position and then he's watching someone score. And so the Jazz are a team that is not going to be afraid to run multiple actions and we're going to run a double screen and we're going to run, you know, Bogdanovich off a double pick and here comes, you know, we're going to run the offense through Joe Ingles and Mitchell's going to, you know, play two guard. You know, they'll do a lot of things. And, you know, we know how good Conley has been as well. It's just a really good team. And this is the test for the Suns. We've got two more games against the Jazz. You're two and a half games behind them in the hunt for the number one seed. Can you secure the number one seed? And I understand that securing the number one seed doesn't mean anything in relation to a title. I understand all those things. You can't tell me that the Suns, Going from nothing ever, doing nothing, never mattering for a decade, then going eight in the bu- eight no in the bubble, then acquiring Chris Paul and suddenly getting the number one seed. You can't tell me that that wouldn't stand out to people as oh shit, this team is for real. It should have already stood out. It should have already been clear to people. But this would really put the league on notice, and it would certainly show what Chris Paul has done for this team. It's not all CP3. The Suns were on the rise last year, but. He is the crown, right? He's the, you know, the early, he's the, the, the finishing piece on the crown. Devin Booker's the crown. I don't know. The team's fucking great. 
And I can't wait for this Suns-Jazz game tomorrow night. It's going to be awesome. And I really do think it's going to be a Western Conference Finals preview. I, re- I really do. I'm just really, really, really starting to believe that this Suns team is going a lot farther than even our wildest dreams. I'm really starting to believe. A few more notes before we get out of here. Paul Pierce, fired by ESPN after the video of him being on Instagram Live while he was smoking and there were strippers in the background. Well, number one, I've never loved Paul Pierce more because this shit is just funny as hell. I mean, this is so dumb. I mean, it's it's not illegal to smoke. It's not illegal to see strippers like, I, you know, and I understand that ESPN is owned by Disney and blah, blah, family organization, blah, blah, whatever. <laughs> it, it, it It's just it's really funny that in this culture you can now be fired for doing something completely legal in the privacy of your own home or wherever he was. Like, he wasn't... I mean, yeah, he shouldn't have posted on Instagram Live or whatever, but it's very easy to, like, suspend someone and forget about it. But no, no, they fired him. And, you know, who the fuck cares? Like, Paul Pierce, you know, he's got an NBA title. He doesn't give a shit. Like, I know that Lakers fans like to clown on him or whatever, but, dude, the guy has a ring over Prime Kobe. Like, I know that Prime Kobe had a ring over him, too, for sure. But the guy has a ring over Prime Kobe, so he just really doesn't give a shit. You know, I don't think he cares about any of this stuff. I think he just likes to sit back and fire takes and have a good time and clearly have a good time based on what we've seen on IG Live. And, you know, who knows what, you know, the next thing for him will be. But, you know, I just I just think it's really funny, you know. And it, the whole thing is just goofy. Like, we're literally at a point in this culture where, like, you can't even live a personal life. You can't take photos of yourself doing anything. You can't have fun because your employer might find out that you had fun in your free time. And if your employer finds out that you have fun in your free time, not on your work time, in your free time, if you do things that are fun in your free time, then you'll be fired because it reflects poorly on your employer that you have a personality and you're not a robot. And it's just, you know, whatever. And, th- and this is the stuff that I rail against all the time. But it's just goofy to me that anyone cares about this. And all the people who are trying to make fun of Paul Pierce or whatever, it's like, dude, look at that man. Look at that man hanging out, smoking with strippers, just living his good life, faded as fuck. Do you really think he cares? I just really don't think he cares. And, you know, I, I admire the shit out of that. I admire a dude who can just... You know, it's what, eh, yeah, lose one job onto the next one. Who gives a fuck? I mean, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny ass story. And the only thing funnier than the actual story itself is the number of people who were trying to like defend ESPN's decision or trying to say that Paul Pierce doesn't deserve the job or that, you know, whatever the case may be. It's just so fucking funny to hear people who are like, well, ESPN is well within their rights to terminate a person who doesn't represent the brand. It's like, yeah, they are, but they also look like a bunch of fucking nerds. Like, come on, this is nerd shit right now. This basically means that James Harden can never be hired as an analyst ever, no matter what occurs. You can't hire James Harden. <laughs> just, I just, oh my God, this whole situation makes me laugh, dude. Good for Paul Pierce, though. I don't think I've ever liked Paul Pierce more than seeing this dude faded as fuck. And then with strippers, and then he gets fired, and then he posts a video on IG Live smiling. Like, it's just, the motherfucker has a good time. And I think we all should aspire to have that sort of good time in our lives where we just don't care. And now it's easy when you have millions and millions of dollars. So let's just throw the socialism part in for all of us. Let's get that universal basic income going, and then we can live our best Paul Pierce lives as the haters make fun of us and dunk on us for the dumb shit we've done while we just go get faded again. It sounds like a pretty good life to me. I'm not going to be not going to lie to you about that. 
Sam Darnold is traded from the Jets to the Panthers in the latest who gives a shit move from the New York Jets. <laughs> I actually, I really thought for a long time that the Patriots were going to try to find a way to get their hands on Darnold and try to fix him just to piss off the Jets in a post-Brady world, but um, obviously now that's not the case. Um, I don't really, you know, whatever. I, I I don't have any opinion on Sam Darnold. I, you know, I think that he's talented. I think that he has flaws, and I think that he has just spent like three years or whatever it is in a system that with a coach that had no ability to deal with that. And I don't know what three years of non-coaching does to a non-quarterback. So, you know, maybe Matt Rule can fix him. I don't know. I, it's you know, it's whatever. They gave up a couple of picks. It's 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 fine. It's whatever. It's, um, I mean, you know, I I think they gave up a second rounder, so I wouldn't have done that necessarily. Um, I think that's kind of a lot for a guy who hasn't proven much. Uh, especially when you just gave Teddy Bridgewater a contract. But, you know, it's whatever. I mean, listen, Matt Rule's a good coach. He's gotten things, you know, he. I think he's a smart offensive mind. I think he knows what he needs to do in the NFL. You know, the Panthers were in a lot of games last season. They had no business being in, you know, even though their record wasn't great. Um, you know, McCaffrey barely played. You know, there's a lot of things. So, um, we'll see. Uh, you know, I, to me, this is just like, it's funny that yet again, the Jets don't sign their first round pick to a contract extension yet again. The Jets blew it with another quarterback and maybe Robert Sallow will change everything. And, you know, it's going to be a bright future for the Jets. But for now, it's still really fucking funny to laugh at Jets and their fans. And that, that's what I do. Um, poor Teddy Bridgewater, though, kind of seems like that might be it. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know if, you know, theoretically, maybe going back to New Orleans could be in the cards at some point. Um, you know, if the Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston thing doesn't work. Um, I don't know what else, you know, I, I don't really know what else is out there. Um, it may be, you know, Teddy may just be done as a starter. Um, and that's okay. You know, I mean, he's always going to be like the best backup in the league, like, you know, a Ryan Fitzpatrick level, he's going to be a guy who will always command money because we know he can win games. And he's definitely a guy who everyone will always consider as like a spot starter while they let a guy start for a year. So, I mean, Teddy's Teddy will start more games, but I'm not sure that anyone's going to give him the starting job. I, I think that may be it. And you feel for him because, you know, this is a guy who had, you know, he had moments and He's a good player. He's a good quarterback. Just maybe not quite a great starting NFL quarterback. And, you know, who knows what his injury uh, did to, you know, sap some of what he had. It definitely sucks. But, um, you know, for Teddy, he's still got some guaranteed money. So certainly plenty of cash still coming his way. You know, life is not terrible. We'll see where it goes from here. But a um, little bit of a disappointing situation for him. I mean, maybe... Somewhere like with Houston, if, you know, depending on what happens with the Deshaun Watson situation, we know, I, I don't even want to talk about the whole Deshaun Watson lawsuit thing. I'm not going to talk about that, but it doesn't seem like Deshaun Watson's ever going to play quarterback for the Texans again, one way or another. So maybe that's a situation that could theoretically, you know, I don't know if the Patriots would, you know, theoretically have some interest maybe with, you know, who knows? There, there's some potential, but this could be the end of, you know, us seeing Teddy Bridgewater as a starter. And if it is, I'm sad to see it. I like Teddy. I think he's good. Um, but, you know, maybe he'll get another, you know, who knows? You, you never know when you're going to get called on to step in and make another run again. So who knows? And then finally, 
Uh, I feel obligated to mention the college basketball national championship last night. I was uh, obviously bummed after Michigan bowed out. Um, and of course, after the incredible ending, you know, the semifinal ending with, you know, just the, you know, the last second buzzer beater and everything that happened, of course, of course, the championship game would be a complete and total dud. Gonzaga did not show up. And it is just really, it's truly amazing um, how often Gonzaga has made noise and, you know, gotten up there and shown themselves to be, you know, an elite or near elite school and then disappointed and embarrassed themselves on a national stage. It's happened so many times. Uh, I remember Adam Morrison crying to this day. And um, with that mustache of his, boy, he was an ugly crier. That was uh, that was not a good look. And um, Gonzaga, boy, you know, it just uh, show up to the national title game. You know, be there. You know, participate. Maybe a good idea. And this game was boring. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know, Baylor's just a better team. Fine. You know, good. They kicked ass from start to finish, really, in this one. And, you know, they were deserving national champions, so good for them. Um, but, you know, it's just, it, it was... It was one of those things where I think everyone was hyped up. We're like, man, we've got, you know, maybe the two best teams. And, uh, you know, we know how good these guys are. And we've, we've had such good finishes. And, you know, this tournament has been crazy. So we know this championship game is going to be crazy. No, total dust. <laughs> Gonzaga doesn't even show up. Baylor walks away with it. And, you know, good for them. And, you know, we'll see. Does that affect draft stock? You know, I don't know. Uh, probably not. But... Overall, just, you know, a disappointing ending. I was uh, watching the Suns game, really, through the first half of the national championship, to be honest with you. I was kind of watching both, but I was paying more attention to the Suns game because the Suns insisted on playing a close game with the Rockets. <laughs> Whatever. They learned to close it out. Just like I'm closing out this episode of The Blunt Doctor Show. Please watch the Suns Jazz tomorrow because it's going to be a hell of a game. Get to know the Suns if you don't. Go Suns, by the way. Fuck the Jazz, as we all know. Fuck the Jazz is a standard uh, uh, motto of this podcast, I believe. And in any case, don't speak on subjects that aren't yours. Be kind to those around you. Love those around you. And let's bring peace into the world in 2021. And last thing before I go, I just want to say a special shout out to my best friend Keith, who lost his best friend, Dakota, uh, his dog, who was... Truly, like, one of the best dogs in the world. Um, literally the exact definition of man's best friend. The funniest dog in the world who had the best personality. Always wanted to play frisbee. Always wanted to hug you, even though he was so big that he didn't realize that he's not a lap dog. <laughs> he was the best dog in the world, and we're going to miss him forever. And uh, I know it's not my pet, so not necessarily my place, but... We love Dakota more than anything. It's a very sad situation. We love you, Keith. And truly, there's just no dog in history that ever epitomized man's best friend better than Dakota. That is just the truth. True words were never spoken about a dog than when they were spoken about him. And I will miss him forever. He was awesome. And yeah, losing a pet is losing a family member. And it's brutal, and it sucks, and it's painful. And love everyone around you and cherish every moment with them. It's the most important thing you can do. Peace.